Well, good morning. We are in the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and uh, looking forward to continuing going through uh, this book. We've been going uh, quickly, but hopefully covering uh, it well, and I hope it's been a challenge and a blessing, encouragement to you. So as we turn there, just want to uh, lift up uh, in, in prayer before we jump into the sermon. Some of you guys remember um, the Fanning family, Matt and Anna, um, who were part of Crosspoint for a while before they moved. But uh, Anna's father went home to be with the Lord um, this last week. And so they're rejoicing because they know that he's with the Lord, but their hearts are really grieving and um, would just uh, like for us to be able to lift them up in prayer. And then also in our church family, um, you guys know, uh, Wilma and Jesse Rico. Wilma, um, uh, Wilma's nephew um, went home to be with the Lord this week. And uh, thank God the good news is that she was able to lead him to faith in Christ just a few weeks ago. And so we rejoice in that, but um, just want to, uh, to lift up those in our church body right now who are hurting uh, and grieving. And uh, so I'd like to take a moment in prayer before we jump into the sermon today. Father God, Lord, we just want to lift up uh, those that are hurting. Lord, we um, lift up the Fannings, Lord, and uh, we're thankful for them. Thankful for the friendship that we were able to form with them while they were here in this area and at Cross Point. And God, we know that their, their hearts are hurting now. Lord, I pray that you would comfort them. God, I pray that you'd comfort Wilma and Jesse and uh, Barry's wife, uh, Kelly, right now, God. So Lord, there's probably a lot of confusion and hurt and uh, Lord, just anxiety. And I pray that God, that Lord, as we looked at, um, Lord, from your word a couple weeks ago, that the God of all comfort, Lord, will comfort us. And we ask for that comfort today for our, Lord, our brothers and sisters in Christ who are hurting. God, I pray that you would uh, just uh, use this message now to speak to us, God. I pray that, Lord, it would be uh, your word, um, Lord, that impacts and challenges. And we ask this and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and some of this might seem repetitive, but it's important to know the context where Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, and he is um, having to, to really defend his ministry. He's saying, because there are those questioning his sincerity, they're questioning his integrity, and so Paul is laying out that, yes, I am sincere in my message. I'm not preaching it for some ulterior motive or personal gain. In fact, he's going to say, look, all that I'm going through, all this affliction, if I was doing it for a selfish motive, I would have stopped a long time ago. Because you see, those who minister the word of God many times, unfortunately, they do it for an ulterior motive. They do it for, for maybe a, a certain um, feeling of power or status or for material or financial gain where, where they will just use people and manipulate people and then they run when difficulties come. They run when problems come. Now that's not to say that God doesn't move people uh, to certain areas of ministry. But a lot of times you see people, they're so quick to jump and move around. And, and Paul's saying this, look, I am preaching out of a sincere heart. I don't have an ulterior motive. I'm not using craftiness and lies and manipulation. 
I am ministering out of a sincere heart. So he starts out chapter four. He says, therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. So remember last week we talked about the, the, when Paul says they're ministers of the new covenant. And we went into depth about how the Old Testament God's law applies to us today. It's still very applicable. However, there are certain aspects of that law that um, have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so that's why as believers, we're not obligated under certain dietary laws or ceremonial laws as Israel was. Because those things were types and shadows and pictures. And Christ fulfilled those with his death on the cross and his sacrifice. And so while we see great value in the moral ap application of those things. And while we see God's moral law is for all people of all time, and even how some of the civic laws, we take the equity of those things and see the value. And you just look at societies that, that, that build their laws on the word of God, and you see God's ways work, that God's law is good, God's law is righteous, and it's moral, and it's upright for all people. But Paul is pointing out how as ministers of this new covenant, we're not just following laws written on stone, but the spirit of God changes our hearts, changes our desires, and we're made new in Christ. And he closes out chapter four, that beautiful verse talking about how that, that we're changed into that image of the Lord by the spirit of God. And he's saying, look, because of your ministry, because of your calling, don't faint. Don't give up. That, that phrase, faint not, it means don't cower back. Don't give up. Don't give in. You have a great calling. You have a great ministry that God's called you to do. And how, how applicable is that for us today to see because of God's calling on us, because of what God has called us to do, don't get discouraged. Don't faint. Don't give up that serving God and following God, it's for all of our days. It's for all of our life. And he's saying we have been called. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we faint not. He says, but if we've renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, he says, we're not walking in craftiness. We're not handling the word of God deceitfully. He says, we're making manifestation. We're making known the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So he's saying, look, even those attacking him deep down in their conscience, they know I'm sincere. And he said, but more important than that is in the sight of God, I know that I am honest and sincere. He's saying, I'm not manipulating the word of God. I'm not twisting the word of God for my own gain and and I'll just say this, that, that's really important for us to see because today we see one of the biggest turnoffs to Christianity is people who twist and manipulate the word of God. People who are hypocritical as far as ministers of the word of God who, who are doing it for their own personal gain. And they're doing it to try to manipulate people to see what they can get from it instead of how they can love God and serve people. And while all of us are just, as Paul's going to point out, we're just vessels of clay, earthen vessels, he says. It's not really about us. And, and, and at our best, that's all we are. 
We're going to fall and fail. We're going to disappoint people. However, that being said, it doesn't give the green light that we can just live these hypocritical lives and that we can be dishonest and crafty and, and twist the word of God. Paul's saying, look, I'm not doing that. I am not doing that. I am speaking with sincerity. I am speaking with honesty. I don't have an ulterior motive. And he says, I'm, I'm preaching. In fact, in elsewhere, Paul says that he has a conscience that is without offense towards God and towards man. Now, that doesn't mean everybody always liked what he had to say, because a lot of times they didn't. And Paul suffered at the hands of people who hated his message. But he, his point was, when he says his conscience is, is, is void of offense towards God and man, he's saying, look, I know deep down that I am sincere and I am not doing what I am doing for an ulterior motive. I'm not doing it for selfish gain. I'm doing it because this is what God's called me to do. God's given me this ministry. And he says, because of that, look, I wouldn't have endured all of these things if I was doing it for an ulterior motive. I wouldn't go through all this affliction and suffering if I was insincere about what my calling is. He says in verse 3, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. He says, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. He said in verse 5, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. And ourselves were servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 3 says, if the gospel's hid, or if it's veiled, it is hid to those who are lost. And so this is important for us to know. As we are evangelizing, as we are giving the gospel to the people around us, may we understand this. There is a spiritual battle taking place. It's more than just an intellectual battle. We talked a little bit about that last week where, where Paul said that like there's this veil over people's eyes and, and that's why they don't see and understand the truth. And so while we at Crosspoint are really, really passionate about, about having a, a defense of our faith, and I think that's good. I think that that's important. I think that we should know the word of God. We should know what the objections are. Um, that are out in our culture, what the objections are to Christianity. We need to prepare our kids to be able to handle those objections because too often what happens is we give kindergarten answers to adult questions and then we wonder why our kids' faith is shattered because they're hearing these objections and they've never thought through them. We've never talked through them in a context of faith. So yes, we need to have more than just a shallow surface level understanding of Christianity and understanding of the word of God. However, know this, it's more than just an intellectual battle. It's a, it's a, it's a spiritual battle that is taking place. And people's minds are being blinded by Satan. And maybe you've seen that when you're witnessing to people. 
it's like, man, you're ready with all these answers. And it's like, how do you not, how do you not see the glory of the gospel? How do you not see how the gospels change my life and my heart? How do you not see it? And the answer is they don't see it because Satan has blinded their minds. He's saying that the, that the God, it's not, it's not that the gospel isn't clear and that the gospel isn't powerful. Paul's saying it's hid because men are lost. It's hid because people are blinded by Satan, the God of this world. Now, there's some debate over what that phrase means, Satan being the God of this world. Some take it as, well, this is his domain to rule and control. And I don't think that that's the case. I think what he's saying is this, this world is perceived by, by people that, oh, Satan's in control of this, this realm. Whatever that specifically is meaning, we do know this, though. Any power, any control that Satan has, has been allowed by God for him to have. That God is greater. God is more powerful. But the point is, he's saying, look, the, there's this veil. There's this blindness for those that don't know the Lord. And the problem is not that the gospel isn't clear. The problem's not that the gospel's not going forward. He's saying, look, we're not, we're not preaching ourselves. We're preaching Christ Jesus the Lord. And it says God commanded the light to shine out of darkness. And he shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the testimony of Paul himself. That, that he was not always a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, he hated Christianity. He persecuted people who were believers until what? A light literally shined from heaven. And knocked him off his horse on the way to Damascus. And then that light shined within. And Paul became a believer. And he's saying, look, this is our prayer. And, and may this be our prayer. For those that we're witnessing to. For those that we want to see come to know the Lord. May our prayer and desire be that the light of the gospel would shine in their hearts. That when they see the light of the gospel... When they hear the glorious message of the gospel, that they will respond in faith. And see, while we're going to see, and especially we're going to see in chapter 5, we have a responsibility to give the gospel. We have a responsibility to be bold, to open our mouth, to share our faith, to preach the gospel, to give the gospel. We have that responsibility, but may we be certain that it is not up to us to change someone's heart. Only God can do that. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Why? Because they're blinded by Satan. There's a veil over their eyes. And so while God uses the means God uses is us, his people, to proclaim the gospel, may we recognize that there's got to be a moving of God. There's got to be a moving of God in someone's heart. We can't talk someone into becoming a Christian. The Holy Spirit of God has to do that work. And may that be our prayer. That God who has commanded the light to shine out of darkness. And he shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. In the face of Jesus Christ. Verse number 7 he says this. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That the excellency of the power of God or that the, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Wow, this is beautiful. Because he's saying, look, that God uses 
ordinary people. He uses earthen vessels or just vessels of clay. Nothing spectacular. Nothing, nothing fancy. Nothing that, nothing that seems significant. But the beauty and the glory of the gospel, the treasure of the gospel, God uses it and puts it in earthen vessels. That should be an encouragement to every one of us. Amen. Because it's not about us. Paul's saying what? So that, that the power of God, that the excellency of, of the power, it might be of God and not of us. Now, this is good news because if you're like me, you've probably gone through times where, where you really feel insecure and you feel inadequate to do what God's called you to do. We face those thoughts. We face those feelings, right? And, and that's okay because we're just earthen vessels. It's not about our ability. Now, God gifts, God equips. Um, and so we're not making light of those gifts and those call, like God's calling on you. And God will give you those talents and abilities and gifts. But may we recognize that, you know what? It's not about our ability. It's about God's power, God's excellency. The beauty and the glory is that God uses earthen vessels. God uses us. And maybe God's God's impressed upon your heart to do something. Maybe it's to share the gospel with someone. Maybe it's to be involved in a certain area of ministry and you feel inadequate. You feel, you feel maybe a little bit insecure because you can sometimes compare with other people and you think, well, I couldn't do it like this person could do it. But that's okay because you're not called to do it like that person can do. You're called to do what God's going to do through you. An earthen vessel. And by the way, it's also humbling sometimes when we think and we try to do things in our own ability or our own strength, and then we fall and we fail because we're not depending upon God. We're depending upon ourselves, And we've all been there. We all can think of times where maybe we were a little bit overconfident in our own strength and our own ability, and then we failed. And, and it's probably a good thing because it then brings that humility and shows us it's not about us. The excellency, the power is of God. And I've, I've seen that many times. We all have a message and think, man, this message is really going to impact. This message is really going to be powerful. God's going to use this to change hearts and lives. And then, you know what? It's like, oh, everybody had this glazed look in their eyes. If their eyes were even open during the sermon, it's like, whoa, okay, I guess I need to remember it's not about the vessel. It's about the power of God working. Otherwise, my words will fall to the ground. My words will be forgotten. But if God is moving, it's the spirit of God. The power of God is moving and working. That's what's going to make the impact. And that's true of all of our service to God. If it's in our own strength, if we try to make it all about the vessel, the tool, then we're going to be disappointed. There will be nothing that will truly last. But Paul's saying, look, God uses earthen vessels. Why? So that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And I find such great encouragement in that truth. And now he's going to point out how that sometimes those earthen vessels, God has to break those earthen vessels for them to truly be effective. Which to us doesn't make sense in our finite minds. Like, God, how does that work? But he's going to point out that through 
his suffering through his affliction that God is using that for his purposes. He says we're troubled on every side, but yet we're not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're cast down, but not destroyed. He's saying, in other words, all of these afflictions, they've knocked us down, but they don't have to knock us out because God is working in those things. And maybe you feel bombarded today. Maybe you feel like life has knocked you down. But back to the very first verse we read, don't faint. We don't have to faint. We don't have to give up because God has a purpose in that affliction. The way you're going through now, God is working in you. And it might seem like God is breaking that vessel, but God has a purpose in that. And he's saying all of these afflictions, all of these troubles, he says we're perplexed, we're not in despair though, we're persecuted but we're not forsaken, we're cast down but not destroyed. And then Paul makes this correlation, he ties in about his suffering to the death of Christ. He says always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life of Jesus might be made manifest or made known in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our own mortal body. So he's saying, look, that these sufferings just reminded him of the sufferings of Christ. And in Philippians, where Paul talks about he wants to know God's power, he says, and I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. That Paul in his affliction, when he suffered for the sake of Christ, he was saying it was reminding him of Christ's work and Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Now, nothing compares to that, but his point is this, that even though we might go through things in life that are painful for the cause of Christ, hey, God's got a purpose in it. May this point to you, may you be reminded of Christ's work in you, and he's going to point out how that it's actually, it's working life in people. He says, so then death worketh in us, but life in you. He's like these death-like afflictions. Again, some were trying to point out that, oh man, if you're really sincere, you wouldn't be going through all these trials. You wouldn't be going through all this persecution. Paul's saying, ironically though, these things are to bring about life in you. This is for your good that, that I'm going through these things. And God is fulfilling his purpose in it. He says, we have the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore I've spoken. We also believe, therefore we speak. He's saying, I have confidence. I can speak of this because of my sincerity and my faith that I truly believe it. Saying this isn't just this isn't just some speech that I rehearsed. This isn't just something where I'm good with words so I can manipulate people and, and it's not really saying, no, I believe these things, and that's why I can speak with confidence of these things. Saying that we believe and therefore we speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. We see so much of Paul's confidence, even in adversity and pain and suffering and affliction and persecution, was tied back to the resurrection of Jesus. 
that because Jesus rose from the dead, he knew that he would also one day rise from the dead. That as believers, we have this, this hope, and we're going to talk next week as we get into chapter 5 in more detail about how we have this confidence that when this body dies, we know that we're with God. We know that we're in his presence. And, and, and though this, this tent, this temporal body is going to die and decay, hey, we have a house in heaven and we have, we will be clothed upon in heaven. And so as, as Christians, we have this confidence of, look, this life isn't it. There's more that's to come. And, and Paul's saying, he has this confidence because, because Jesus rose from the dead. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we have this confidence. He says, for all these things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. He's recognizing God's purpose in this. That God is using his affliction for others' good. You know, back to a couple weeks ago when we talked about how that, or where Paul talked about that the, the things we go through were comforted of God. Why? So that we can comfort others when they're in those same afflictions. Well, this is what he's saying. Look, what I'm going through, it's, it's for others' good. Others are being strengthened by this. And he says, it's for that cause that we're not going to faint. For this cause, we faint not. Hey, our, our, our outward man, this body is perishing. This body's decaying. This body is full of aches and pains and suffering. And the older you get, the more we see that, right? Like, man, this body is temporal. But he's saying, though the outward man's perishing, though this physical body's decaying, that inward man, this spiritual, God, God is renewing us each and every day. God is sanctifying us. He's making us more like him. Each and every day. And he says, because of that, it's a light affliction. He says, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. He says, the things that are seen or the, the physical material things, he said, those are temporal. But the things which are not seen, those are eternal. So Paul's saying all of this suffering, all of this pain that he went through, that you and I go through, he says it's a light affliction. It's a light affliction. Now, keep in mind this context. When Paul's saying it's a light affliction, as we get further on in 2 Corinthians, Paul's going to list all of these things that he suffered for the cause of Christ. Paul went through stripes, which is being beaten with a whip. He was thrown in prison multiple times. He was beat up. He was stoned, thrown out of town. He faced shipwreck. He says perils of the waters, robbers, perils of his own countrymen, perils of the Gentiles, perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, perils among false brethren. So in other words, like a lot of people didn't like him and were trying to harm him. In fact, there was a group one time they hated him so much and they wanted him dead. They said, we're going to make this vow that we're going to fast. We're not going to eat or drink until he's dead. I mean, these got powerful people wanted him dead. And he's saying all over, all of these people are out to get me because, and this was for, for Christ's sake. This is because he was preaching 
an offensive gospel. And people didn't like it. And he's saying, look, all of these people are out to destroy me. And he says, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings, in cold and nakedness, all of these outward sufferings. And then on top of that, the, the, the spiritual agony of, of, of people that were trying to undermine him and, and discredit him and lie about him and say he was insincere, all of these things. Paul says, look, it's a light affliction. It's a light affliction because God is using it for something better. He has a purpose in it. And not only that, it's a light affliction because it's just temporal. It's not going to last. And it's a light affliction, he says, because the glory of the reward that is coming is far greater. Now, what he's not saying is that, that because of all of these things he's going through, that he's earning his salvation or earning his favor with God. Favor with God comes through the grace of God alone, right? Through faith in Jesus Christ, not by any of our works, not by anything that we go through or achieve. But he's saying that as a believer and as a follower of Christ, that the, the suffering and the affliction that we go through has a purpose in it now. And it's also producing an eternal weight of glory. In other words, it's something that will matter for all of eternity. And what I'm proposing today is this. If we can see this truth, that what we go through is just, a mo it's just for a moment. It's just temporal. The, the things in this life, are, this life is so short. And I know when we're going through difficulties and afflictions, it can seem like it's so long. But what we go through in this life is but for a moment. And if we can have this perspective that the weight of glory, that heaviness in a positive sense, that heaviness in a good sense of all the glory that's to come for believers of being with Christ for all of eternity, that that compared to what we go through is far greater. And if we as believers if we have that perspective, it will change how we live. It will give us confidence to live for Christ. It will give us grace to go through difficulties and trials. This was the case of a young woman by the name of Janessa Wells. She lived her life with this eternal perspective in mind. I think several years ago, I, I highlighted this story in a, in a sermon, but... You perhaps have heard of this young woman, Janessa Wells. If you've read the book Radical by David Platt, he actually highlighted Janessa's story. But Janessa Wells felt God's calling to go and to minister to Muslims in the Middle East. And she did just that. Janessa went to, uh, she went to um, Egypt for a while. She was working with, with Muslims in France for a while. And she had this passion to share the gospel with the Muslims in the Middle East. And though Janessa's family was very proud of her and very thankful for that calling, at first they really tried to talk her out of it. They said, Janessa, you can be effective here in the United States. Janessa was extremely gifted with music. And, and they said, you can teach here in the United States and you can get married, you can have a family. But Janessa felt God's calling to go overseas. Now, here's the thing. If God doesn't call you to go overseas, don't go overseas. That'll be a big mistake. But Janessa knew God was calling her to this. 
And Janessa said this, this was taken from one of her journals. She says, I could give up on overseas service and I could get married and I could become a music teacher. All of this is very noble. And to be quite honest, sounds good to me. But in my heart, I want to change the world more than I want a husband, more than I want comfort. I need this opportunity to grow and to tell others about Jesus. One of my favorite praise songs says, I will never be the same again. I can never return. I've closed the door. And two years after that, after writing that, Janessa was killed in a bus accident in Egypt one morning. She died following God's calling and, and, and following where God led her to go to share the gospel with Muslims in the Middle East. She died on September 10th, 2001, one day before 9-11 here. For many who live the American dream, they would look at that as a waste. They would look at that as a horrific tragedy. A young girl dying at, a, at the young age in obscurity, in a bus accident, in a bus accident in Egypt before the sun came up one morning. David Platt, when he highlighted this story in his book Radical, he said this. Most people in our culture look upon this story as a tragedy. A young woman spending the last days of her life in the remote Egyptian desert only to die in a bus accident. Think of all the potential she had. Think of all she could have accomplished. Think of all that she could have done if she had not gone there. But yet the perspective of Christ, this is a story of reward. Platt goes on to say this, rest assured, Janessa does not regret missing one moment of the American dream in the light of the reward she now experiences. This, we remember, is the great reward of the gospel. It's God himself. When we risk our lives to run after Christ, we discover the safety that is found only in his sovereignty, the security that is found only in his love, and the satisfaction that is found only in his presence. And we would be foolish to settle for anything less. Janessa understood that picture of what that meant. Janessa understood that this life is short, but eternity is forever. And so any sacrifices, any afflictions that we go through for Christ here in this life is worth it. And anything that you and that I go through here in this life for Christ is worth it. It's worth it right now because we know God has a purpose in it. And it for sure will be worth it in eternity. Because the pain, the suffering that we go through, Paul says this is, it's a light affliction, but it's working for us a far more exceeding weight of glory. And maybe today you are experiencing affliction and you're experiencing suffering and it seems anything but light. It seems extremely heavy and extremely bearing and extremely painful. But may we be reminded that in light of eternity, anything that we face here in this life, God has a purpose in it now. That God is using it now to accomplish his purposes. And not only that, we will rejoice and be glad because it will 
be worth it in light of eternity. That what we, what we go through for Christ. And by the way, maybe God will call you to living a life of great suffering and affliction. Maybe not. God has a different plan and a different purpose, a different will for each and every one of our lives. But we can rest assured that whatever we go through for Christ has meaning and it has purpose. And we must have this, this eternal perspective. That what we go through here, it's a light affliction. It's not going to last. But in eternity, we'll be glad. In eternity, we'll be glad that we didn't faint, that we didn't give up, that we pressed on in adversity. Look, there's nothing wrong with having nice things and blessings and possessions here in this life. But that is not what life is about. It's about fulfilling God's purpose, finding God's will, pursuing God's will, no matter what it costs. And when we really see the sacrifice of Christ, when we see what he did for us, I think that we'll have a perspective that we want to follow him and we want to serve him. That's the least that we can do after what he has done for us. Let's take a moment and pray.